0: Good morning, everybody. Well, Brother Tommy asked me to switch weeks with him, so um, here I am. My talk this morning is on uh, conscientious objection. There were some things, some thoughts I was having in the, over the past month or so that kind of made me want to write on this topic, and we'll get to the real part that I want to talk about towards the end but you can't hardly talk about this subject without covering a number of of areas including uh, political service and, and voting and military service and and subjects of that matter I, I used a lot of information out of this book uh, book that we went over in Sunday school a number of years ago with uh, grandpa it's written by J a Cowie and uh, so I'll and I quote him a bit throughout this.
1: As brethren of
0: Christ, we are tied to the Abrahamic covenant. Part of that covenant requires that we be as strangers and pilgrims in the land in which we live. We are very much aware of the command given to Abraham to leave his land and to go to a land that he would be shown. However, though he wandered through the land, he never did inherit it. Therefore, when coming into the Abrahamic covenant, we too find ourselves without land and country as Abraham was until Christ returns and establishes kingdom upon this earth. This lack of country with which we can identify ourselves plays a crucial role, a crucial part in our role as conscientious objectors. It is this part and others that we will be talking about this morning that set the limits on the actions that we can take in support or opposition of a country. So as we just stated, Abraham was called out from very comfortable surroundings to wander as a stranger until he was given the land that was promised to him. Let's turn over to Genesis 21. The first verse. Sorry, that is not the correct reference. Verse twelve. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the No, that's not the right verse no. Chapter sorry, Chapter twelve. This is it. Now Yahweh had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Abraham obeyed this call and walked the rest of his life as a pilgrim through the lands. Also, Genesis chapter 17, verse 18. Hopefully this is the right one. Sorry, 17, verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And he was speaking to Abraham here. When Sarah died, Abraham confessed his status as a stranger and sojourner to the children of Heth in Genesis 23, verse 4. I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my my sight. Now the blessing that was given to Abraham was passed down to Isaac and then then to Jacob, that they also should wander as strangers in the land, and uh, we'll look at Genesis chapter twenty-eight for this reference, verse four. And this is speaking to, this is Isaac speaking to Jacob. And give the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee thou mayst inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which god gave unto abraham and also genesis chapter 20 37 verse 1 and jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of canaan and uh, i use this verse just kind of to reference back to isaac i couldn't find any specific reference that that uh, said to isaac that he was a stranger and a sojourner but this kind of refers back to him and uh, as Jacob's father that he was also a stranger through these lands that they were in. David also recognized that even though they had a land to dwell in Israel was still a stranger amongst amongst the nations and until God set up his eternal kingdom they would remain as strangers. Psalms 39 verse 12. Psalm 39. <laughs> Hear my prayer, O Yahweh, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not the peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. The faithful of Hebrews 11 were called strangers in their land. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Peter also petitions us the same thing. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This is the cornerstone of the foundation of our consci- conscientious objector status. We remain strangers and sojourners in the world until Christ return, returns and takes control of the kingdom in which his, the land in which his kingdom will be set up. That is when we are no longer strangers and sojourners. So from this claim that we are strangers and sojourners, we recognize that our citizenship does not lie on earth. So the question is then asked, where is our citizenship? And then we'll go to this book. J.A. Cowie states on page 14 of this book, Conscientious Objection to Military Service, Having been called out of the nations as a people for Yahweh's name, and that's from Acts 15.14, we have transferred our allegiance from man to God. From henceforth, we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29, and devote our lives to, in his service as a living sacrifice conforming to his will. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In so doing, we live as strangers and pilgrims, as we read in 1 Peter 2.11, waiting for a kingdom that is not of this world or order of things. That kingdom is still in that formational stage because its king is still in heaven, performing his mediatorial work on behalf of its future constituents. While he remains there... That is where our interests and attention should be focused. Instead of concentrating our thoughts and energies on earthly things, we now set our affection, or as the Greek interprets it, the operation of the mind, on things above, not on things on the earth. And that's from Colossians 3, verse 2. The apostle told the Colossians that they were dead and that their life was hid with Christ in God in Colossians 3, 3. Through him we have access by faith into the very presence of God. And let's read Romans 5 verse 2. These references that he uses to support that. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Hebrews 9.24. Which reads, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself, now to, to appear in the presence of God for us. So, while well, uh, Mr. Cowie says, through him we have access by faith into the very presence of God. I, I would kind of change that to say that uh, our prayers are brought into the presence of God through Christ, our mediator, as we do not have direct access to God, secondary to our present nature. In this way, we sit together in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.6. It is an exalted status, for as the apostles stated, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Colossians 3.4 Or, as he puts it to the Philippians, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our body of humiliation, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Philippians 3.20-21 We conclude, therefore, that the saints enjoy a status as citizens of a higher and more enduring polity, a status which must inevitably affect their earthly citizenship, and that ends the quote from him. Our objection to military service is based upon the principles we just covered concerning our citizenship. In order to fight in a military, we must align ourselves with a country and know the values and drive of that country and be willing to fight for it and die for it. We have to be completely devoted to that country and be identified by it. That is why soldiers wear a flag on their uniform. They are not representing themselves or fighting for themselves. They are fighting for their country and are representing their country. If we choose to become aligned with a worldly military, we are renouncing our heavenly citizenship and taking on an earthly one. But an earthly citizenship, like everything else that is of this earth, earth, is temporary and corruptible. This is one reason we do not join the military. Another reason is is that we will be called to fight under the banner of our heavenly citizenship when that day comes. That is a war that is prophesied and commanded by God and not driven by the lust and greed of man. That war will be holy and will accomplish the will of God and will lead the establishment of his son's kingdom will lead to the establishment of his son's kingdom and reign on earth. And let's turn to 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So as these verses say, we have been chosen to be soldiers of Christ. We cannot then turn and serve man as well. We'll read Luke chapter 16, verse 13, which says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Our warfare is waged with the sword of the Spirit at this time. J. A. Cowie uses John eighteen thirty-six, which we'll look at. John eighteen thirty six. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And also Psalm 149, verses 5 to 9. Psalm 149, 5 to 9. Let the saints be joyful in glory, let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written this honor have all his saints praise ye Yahweh he uses these references to support our position we do not fight now because our citizenship is not of this world but when the time comes that the place of our citizenship is to be established on earth that is when we will be called to fight. So under the section titled Christadelphians and the Legal System in this book, Mr. Cowie has this to say about the use of the legal system. The commandments of Christ and his apostles are clear on this matter. We are to suffer ourselves to be defrauded. Matthew 5.40 And if any man will sue thee at the law... And take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And Luke 6, 29-30. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the ecclesia. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? We cannot use legal coercion for the recovery of debts or damages. Hence, Clause 35 of the Doctrines to be Rejected in our Statement of Faith rejects that we are at liberty to serve in that army or as police constables to take part in politics or recover debts by legal coercion. Also under the same heading concerning jury service, he says, The principles that apply to jury service are the same as those that govern our attitude to the use of the legal system and participation in <coughs> In the Judiciary Constabulary, a juror is a judge and a defender of the laws of the state, charged with assessing and deciding upon a defendant's action in relation to those laws. He is essentially a member of a panel of judges who have power to condemn or vindicate men according to the laws of the state. This role is inconsistent with the responsibilities of a follower of Christ. The Laws and Principles by which we must live transcend the laws of any state in every way. The Christadelphians' attitude and conduct are governed by higher principles that the enacted laws of a political state than the, than the enacted laws of, of a political state, and it is therefore unthinkable that we should agree to dispense with Christ's principles in order to sit in judgment upon other men, according to the state's code of law. To do so would be to adopt a double set of standards, one for ourselves and an entirely different one for others. This we cannot do with a clear conscience before God. And that's the end of his section on that. On voting, Christadelphians have historically refrained from participating in public elections. The purpose of this is supported by many of the arguments we've made so far concerning upholding of man's laws and being strangers and sojourners in the land in which we dwell. However, Other support for this position comes from Daniel 4. We have three verses here that basically say the exact same thing. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. This matter, by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth, in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Verse 25. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And verse 32. Verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever He will. So that that claim is stated three times in this chapter. So it's got to be a pretty important point for these things to be stated three times in the same in the same section of verses here. That. Uh, It's just a matter of fact. God does rule in the kingdom of men. He sets up over it whoever He will, from the basis to the uh, to the greatest of men. Whoever He wants to rule over it to take it in the direction that He wants this world to go. If we were to vote, it would not be for what we thought was in God's plan, but for what we believed would serve this country's best interests. That's why the people of this country vote. They want they want what's best for them or what's best for the country. We cannot know the mind of God. And should we vote for the man who is elected, we are merely lucky to have chosen the correct candidate that God wanted in power. Should we vote for the wrong candidate, then we are working in opposition to God and his plan. And if we work in opposition to God's plan, what place will he have for us in his kingdom? Again, back to this book. During World War I, the Canadian authorities regarded those who had voted in political elections as, as responsible to fight on behalf of the government they had helped to elect, only those who had abstained from voting were eligible for consideration as conscientious objectors. The Canadian government perceived the nexus between voting and political elections and responsibility to defend the state, and insisted that those who had exercised the right to vote also had an obligation to obey the laws of the state in respect to military service. End of quote. If we participate in voting... We are choosing to uphold this earthly, corrupt government that is constantly drifting further from God. And these are all reasons that we abstain from voting. Now to our final topic. And the main reason that I chose to speak on this subject concerns our views of world politics and how we choose to address them. As a person going into a healthcare care profession, I've been asked many times, So what do you think about the healthcare care bill? What do you think about Obamacare? How is this new health care bill going to affect you? Of course, my initial reaction to say something like, the bill was a terrible idea. It's going to bring unemployment to a great deal of people. There will be an increase in home foreclosures. Businesses will close. It's just a bad idea overall. But I have to think about what I'm going to say so I don't sound like a patriot. It's my job not to speak in opposition to the leaders of this country or any country. I'm allowed to encourage, I am allowed and encouraged to watch how the world is developing so that I can see God's plan coming to fruition. However, I'm not allowed to stand up and voice opposition or disapproval of the system because God has set these men in power. And what if somebody comes and asks, if you are so discontent, discontent with this system, who are you going to vote for to change it? My answer would be, well, I, I don't vote person would then say, so why are you complaining then? If you aren't going to do anything to change it, don't complain about it. It's a good point to make. If we aren't going to do anything to change change it, which we don't have the power to do as Christadelphians, then we don't have any reason to complain about it. And we should not complain about it because these are the ways that God has set things in motion so that his plan can come about and that it would initiate Christ's return. So while we are able to see what is going on in this country, and make the observation that the politics of this country, that the politics of this country has, are not going to fix it, we are not allowed to voice opposition to these politics. Back to this brother, or uh, I don't, I don't know if he's a brother or not. It just says J. A. Cowie. Back to this man. Uh, he says on page twenty-one of this book, Christ and His Apostles left no room for doubt about our responsibility to obey the laws of the land, wherever we may sojourn, awaiting the kingdom of God. We are to obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. 1 Peter 2. Verses 13-17. to Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme... Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." If we sit around and complain about those that have, that Yahweh have put into power, are we honoring them? That's just my comment. If we he says honor the king, if we just sit around and we constantly say, uh, Obama is this and his vice president is that, and our you know, the House and the Senate are this and that, is that is that doing honor to them? Except Where they contravene the commandments of Christ. Let me go back and start this sentence over again. We are to obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, except where they contravene the commandments of Christ. And that comes from Acts 5.29, which reads, we ought to obey God rather than man. Thus, rulers of the state who formulate and administer law are to be obeyed and honored. And we'll read from Romans chapter 13. Verses 1 to 5. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive themselves to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to do thee for good, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Paul argues that the powers that be are ordained of God. And to some degree, regulate and control society according to the principles which preserve it from total barbarism. Though far from ideal, these conditions did allow for progress to be made by Christianity in the Roman Empire, and servants of Christ should be thankful for a measure of peace and freedom to practice their faith. For this purpose, prayer is to be made for kings, and for all that are in authority— That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That comes from 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4. This should be remembered in our private and communal prayers. The wonderful circumstances enjoyed in this land for service in the truth without fear and persecution are a blessing, not a right. End of quote. Brother Charles Kelly wrote a letter that will be appearing in the next Sanctuary Keeper. Uh, that is very timely for this exhortation. The title of it is, Of Grave Concern. There have been some developments going on in the Christadelphian body that should be of grave concern to each of us. Recently, there have been quite a number of emails being sent around the body, mostly by individual brothers and sisters, which should not be circulated among us. These emails have been mostly critical of President Obama and other government officials. Also, they have been very critical of the activities of the government in various things, principally in their dealings with Israel and with the Muslims of various nationalities, in the fumbling way that the oil leak in the Gulf of Mexico has been handled, in the way the matter of illegal aliens from Mexico is being handled, and other such things. It is true that these things are being used as political footballs, but that is not our concern in any way, and we should be very careful over the way we make comments about them among ourselves, and especially among worldly friends and acquaintances. The authorities have the capabilities to set into our computer to get into our computers and even our cell phones to see what we are saying, and they are looking for anything that even seems to be of subversive nature. Our concern should be to avoid anything that can be construed as political or critical of our authorities. The Christadelphians have always maintained that we take no part in politics, do not serve on juries, do not participate in the warfare of man, etc. Anything that seems to negate these claims can make it difficult to get excused from jury duty or obtain a conscientious objector classification in case of another military draft, and we should be very careful to avoid that at any cost. Remember that we are told in Daniel 417 this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the world. Word of the Holy Ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basis of men. God is constantly arranging the events of the world, both in what we call nature and in the politics and affairs of man, arranging everything to bring about the conditions necessary for the ful- fulfillment of his plan. We do not always see the necessity of why things are happening. As they are, but we must trust in God to take care of matters as He sees fit. Look through history at the rulers and leaders of men. Notice that most of them were evil, murdering men, purely selfish, and brutal in every way. The common thing among them was that each of them had a job to do in God's plan, and as believers, we should not be critical of them in any way. We may find them totally reprehensible in every way, but we must recognize that they were God's instruments to do His work. We do not agree with the Muslims in any way, but they are unknowing, unknowingly doing what God wants them to do. They are persecuting Israel, bringing the U.S. to its knees, bringing havoc to wherever they go. But they are still doing what the work of God intends for them to do. Israel must be standing alone with no one able to help them when Christ returns to rescue them. They have to be humbled to the point of desperation, ready for their Messiah with no one else to turn to but God. Our hearts go out to them. But we cannot be critical of the events that will happen to bring this state of desperation about, for it is God's will. Although they have been brought back to the land, they are not humble before God, but proud in their own accomplishments, not seeing his land in arranging things, not seeing his hand in arranging things for them. We must be patient and wait for God to do it his way, and he is the only one who knows how he wants it, and we have just to trust he will arrange it. I hope these few thoughts may make us step back and not be guilty of complaining of God's ways and bringing about his plan as that is what all these things going on in the world are doing. Our duty is to watch and to try to be ready when our time comes to get involved and that will only be when our king sets up his throne on earth. Another thing that we must remember, sorry, that's the end of his letter, uh, uh, that we need to be ready. And our duty is to watch, try to be ready when our come, when our time comes, to get involved, and that will be when our king sets up his throne on earth. Another thing that we must remember comes from the words of David in First Samuel twenty-four. Starting with verse four, going to verse thirteen. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which Yahweh said unto thee, Behold, I will I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it seemed good unto thee, as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt, and he said unto his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, Yahweh's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of Yahweh. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to arise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried unto Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David, David, seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that Yahweh had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eye spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is Yahweh's anointed. Moreover, my fathers, see ye, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed and killed thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Yahweh judge between me and thee, and Yahweh avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Just as David said his hand would not be upon Yahweh's anointed, so should our not hand be against the rulers of this land. They have have been set up by Yahweh, such as Saul was, and are to be considered Yahweh's anointed as well. If David would regret even cutting the skirt of Saul who was trying to kill him, we should be ashamed of speaking poorly against the anointed leader of this country. It is very easy to get caught up in the excitement that is being spread around by all the patriots of this country. The place I've seen a lot of this excitement comes from is the news. We've gotten very wrapped up in which television station we watch for news. People constantly say how conservative this anchor is or how liberal that one is. Facts are, all of them are liberal in comparison to what we stand for, whether it is Williams, Kirk, Beck, or O'Reilly. All of them put their little twist on the information and try to make everybody see it their way. We should all be adept at deciphering the truth from anything presented to us, no matter the spin. We should also be, separ- should be able to separate ourselves from the information and not let it consume us. It doesn't matter if the president was really born in America or not. It doesn't matter if he's Christian or Muslim. It doesn't matter if the new government is socialist, capitalist, or communist. What does matter is that we are paying attention to the direction the world is going. Are we aware of Christ's soon return, and do we see the signs appearing that have been given to us? Nearly the whole world stands against Israel. Russia is becoming more and more aggressive, and the body of believers is growing smaller and smaller. Here's a dramatic example. Brother Jimmy Bryant, for state representative, should vote for him because his opponent voted to raise tax on milk. And he's a conservative. Are we conservative? Is this where we stand? Is this the conservative that we align ourselves with? I hope not. So while it is important, brethren, to watch what goes on in the world around us, let us not forget our stand on politics, voting, and military activity, and that we are to respect those in power, not speak poorly of them. We'll have our memorial hymn at this time.